morning. I'm glad everybody's here today, and uh, thank you for coming if you're a visitor and spending a little time with us here at Vertical Life Church. Um, my name's Luke. I am filling in for Pastor Joey for a little bit, and uh, only one more week after this, so um, we're going to go through more creation stuff today. The last few weeks we've been talking about the arguments between creation and evolution, the ideas between these two things, how they are polar opposites of Christianity and worldlyism. I mean, they, they're nowhere really do they touch. The world would like us to believe that we believe the same as them, and then tricking us into dropping our ideals of who God really is. And a lot of times, that's the way false religions and different uh, false doctrines and people like that, and even cults, they work. Um, when, you're, when you're approached by certain cults, they're even taught, I was reading through one of their books, and they were taught to say, you know what, I believe just like you. Well, we believe that too. Well, we worship the same God. And so it lures people into thinking there's commonality. So we're, we're the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in this week, in these last couple weeks, we talked about creation against evolution. And that they're not one science in one's faith, that they're both faith, and that's your faith has to be in one or the other when it comes to this idea. And so in this idea, in the first few chapters of Genesis, God talks to us about what it means to be created. And we talked about, and this is something I just firmly believe is this, that this book, the Bible, is 100% true. If science argues against the Bible that is incorrect, it's not the Bible that's incorrect, it would be science that's incorrect. It's either not right or hasn't caught up yet. When that's happened over and over and over again. Today we're going to talk about the flood. Now we started off with the creation of the world and the galaxy and the Big Bang, or God said. Then we went to the creation of man, either monkey to man through the evolutionary standpoint, or God created us on day six, and he created all the animals, and he created the whole earth. Now we're going to talk about the flood. Now, for many people, you'd ask, why does the flood have anything to do with evolution? Well, the flood for us answers many of the questions that the evolutionary world and the scientists attack us on as far as being we are ignorant, they would say, because of these impossibilities. So the flood is very important. Now, do I believe that God could have made all those things at the beginning? Yes. But then it would contradict what he said, that the world was perfect, the people that lived in it weren't supposed to die, there was no sin, there was no problems. When God called something good and he says something like, and it is good, like he said for day one through six, he means good by God's standard, not by our standard. So it was a good world. And he created it perfect. God doesn't create things with flaws. Okay, when he says this was perfect... It's perfect. Maybe not always perfect the way we would think it, but perfect the way God thinks it. And so he said this was the way it was supposed to be. Sin entered the world with Adam. They were kicked out of the garden, him and Eve. And the whole world had sin and problems. Now we're coming up to chapter 6. Now we're going to be more like a sprint through these next few chapters. And so not to take away from what God has to say, I encourage everyone to read Uh, chapter 6 through 9 of Genesis, because there's a lot of stuff we are going to go through today. We may skip some verses. They may pop up. I know Dale's always nervous when I'm up here talking because it's kind of like all over the place, and John's like, where'd you go that last week? And I I don't necessarily lose track, but I got too much stuff, and I don't want to keep everybody for two days because everybody loses interest after about 20 minutes. So 
There's some things we may skip, but if you want to read and double check verses ch- or chapters 6 through 9 is where we're going to spend this part of the message. The flood. So here's what we're going to look at in the flood. The world was very different than what we see today. This is going to be crazy to some of you. Some of you are going to hear some of the words that I'm about to say and you're going to think that I'm making it up or it's just a big lie. But it says then that there was giants in the land that the sons of God looked on the daughters of men and they found them to be pleasing and they took them as wives. And in those days there were giants. Whoa. When the Bible says giants, it means giants. It doesn't mean everyone else is this tall and these people were this tall and they were just catching up. It means giants, real giants. And if you look up on Google today, you can go up on Google and type in giants found in North America. Obviously they'd be skeletons, okay? Giants found in North America and you're gonna see uncovered all over Ohio, there was like 13 different giants between eight and 10 feet tall uncovered. Eight and 10 foot tall giants. Guess what's not in the Smithsonian? Those things. Because it makes the Bible untrue. See, we came from little things and we became bigger. That's what evolution is going to teach you. But if you do a study in that, all over this northern uh, North America, there's uncovered tons of giants. So there was giants in the land. Why did they believe that to be, uh, why is that the case? Because they would call them Nephilim. This is argued against different biblical scholars, but that would be angels essentially mating with men, women, and having babies. Okay? Different world. Also, no season, no seasons, no rain. How does that happen? Believed that the earth would be perfect on its axis. Now, the axis point of the earth is the north and south pole, magnetic poles set on an imaginary line, and now it's tilted, which gives us our seasons. They believed it to be, possibly, creationists would believe to be at zero, giving us no seasons, and so a constant, perfect, growing climate in the middle of the earth. No rain. And then we also talked about that atmosphere that God created. Remember? God creates the atmosphere, and there being water above the earth, making it so the sun doesn't penetrate and hurt our bodies, so people live to be a 1,000 years old. Very different than today. So Genesis 1 through 6 has a very different earth than what we probably see. Giants are a big deal. These were men of renown. My personal belief is when you read Greek mythology, that it probably was mixed with a lot of truth from these ancestors. Now say if you were a non-Christian those times, remember we talked about how Adam could have gave like his personal story just two generations to Noah. If you were a non-Christian and there was these great men of renown, these huge giants that fought in these battles and they were consistently on evil, but I mean, as you look at men and we think about things and we think, tough is awesome, you talk about these guys and you would have these gods. And I personally believe that's where we get a lot of that from, that it's not necessarily all just a myth, that some of that stuff was possible back then. That there were men that were just monsters, and they would worship them. That happens today. Dictators. You look at somebody who can kill the whole world, people fall at their feet. If there was a man who was half man, half God, does that sound kind of true? Kind of something that they had talked about in that Greek mythology that we all learned about? Half man, half God? We hear about that all the time. What are they talking about? I believe that comes from this part. You can completely disagree with me on all that. It's in the Bible. You can study it if you'd like. It's a great thing to look at. So a different world. 
So what happened? In Genesis chapter six and verse five through eight, and we're gonna read that, we're gonna see that the world was very different. The Lord observed the extent of human weakness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I have even, I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So here we go. People say, see, our world's just like this. I don't necessarily think that's probably true. I'm sitting in a room full of people that I think are great people, that love God and that worship him and that will talk to their families about him and that do good and don't just continually look on evil. I do believe our world is increasingly wicked, but I don't believe that's where we're at now. I don't think we've seen what this is. When he says that the Bi- in the Bible that he says everything was bad, I think it means exactly that. Everything was bad. I think the worst things you can imagine were happening. I think it was a disgusting, vile type of place. They hated God and everything he stood for, and so God said, guess what? That's enough. Not just you, animals, everything, you're gone. But Noah, it says, and another version found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 9 of chapter 6, this is why Noah was picked. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Here's people, and I've been reading different things all through the week, trying to figure out why people think that Noah was picked. And these are different reasons I've heard. Noah was a great boat builder. He didn't even live in an area where there were ships. There were ships at the time because there were seas and all that stuff. But, I mean, do we know he lived by a boatyard? Huh, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. One guy said, well, his righteousness wouldn't compare to the righteousness of people today because everything was so wicked now or then that it's nothing like now. So he would have to be way better than he was then. I don't think God grades on a curve. When God said something's good, it's either good or it's not good. So this is what Noah was, a righteous man that walked with God. But he was the only one. Estimates of that time using different mathematical equations, depending on how big of a nerd you want to be, would be become 750 million up to 4 billion people. With the length of time of people living up to 1,000 years and the breeding rates that we see today, and people say, well, wait a minute, we're way healthier than we were then. We don't know that. We don't live to 1,000 now. So we were to assume that they were healthier then because of the atmospheric conditions and the perfect climate, that people actually lived longer, they would breed more, Lots of kids. So there wasn't one or two people on the earth at that point. Low estimate, 750 million people. And so out of 750 million people, we'll go on the low side, one guy. Things were a lot worse then. I mean, they were bad. They were bad. And God says, you know what? Now people say, this is proof that God made a mistake. This isn't, I messed up. This is a broken heart. And he even says it very clearly right there. God's saying, I gave you option after option after option, and now you don't even, you don't just not listen to me, you hate and despise me. The only thing when you wake up in the morning is to think of what you could do worse, who you could hurt, how you could destroy things, and that's it. You don't care about your families, you don't care about your kids, you don't care about each other, you don't care about God. It's just evil. 
He's wiping them out. How's he going to wipe them out? He's going to do it through water. He comes to this guy, Noah, and he says, look, man, you're the best guy here. You're the only one that really loves and cares about me. So I'm going to build this. I'm going to have you build a boat. Okay. Got it. And I'm going to have you build this boat, and I'm going to take you and your family, three boys, and they, they all have wives, and he has a wife. So that's eight people total. And he says, and I'm going to take all the animals that have the breath of nostrils in their lungs, breath of, not, breath of air, whoa, I mixed that all up, in their lungs. And so what that means is he's not bringing the little bugs that breathe through their skin, and he's not going to bring all the little insects. And so that's a good thing to catch because, man, that would be a creepy, crawly boat if he had to take on all of those things. But there's also cages and things for that. And so he tells him he's going to bring all those things, and God says, I'm going to bring them to you. So you didn't have to see Noah out wrangling up with the dog catcher trying to catch all these animals. Some of them might be a little tough to get to. So he says, I'm going to bring all these animals to you, and you're going to build a boat. The dimensions he gives for the boat are this, and I think it's in Genesis 6, 14 through 16. And it says, build a large boat from cypress wood. Now, there's a discrepancy here between wherever you want to read, cypress wood or gopher wood. Depends on a different manuscript. Gopher wood has never been found out to be exactly, uh, if it's here or not here, they believe it to be a distinct tree from back then. Um, this, where this context was taken from, changes to Cyprus because they believe that's where a lot of people built the boats from. Um, but that's another neat study to go into. So build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its inner interior. Make the boat 450 long, feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. These are the directions given to Noah to build a boat. I was listening to one guy and he said, Noah didn't need any blueprints. He had them right there. I don't know if anybody's ever built anything, but this is a pretty big boat and this is not very good blueprints. It doesn't talk about what type of fasteners to use, what size of wood to cut. It doesn't give you any ideas. That is not a description. This is just a big overall. This is like the first page that you drew with a crayon. I want a boat this big. This is not what he used. Obviously, God worked with him and said, hey, man, you're going to need some help. Because he worked 100 years on this boat the whole time preaching to people saying, look, end of the world's coming. Mind you, no rain. There's no rain. I'm building a giant boat, but God's going to bring on the rain. Everybody thinks you're nuts. Everyone's evil anyways. He still keeps on preaching. So it's got three sections, one, two, three, in different levels. Pretty awesome. It's got a door on the side, an open area in the top, and there's a lot of different um, ideas on how this is built. And Dale has some pictures that we're going to look at real quick. This would be when we went down uh, as a group I don't know if you guys know this, with the middle school, we took the group of kids and we went down to see the Ark Museum. This would be what they believed to be an exact replica of the Ark. Now you see this thing is huge, right? I mean the front, that's the front of it. The next picture, you can go ahead. That's the front of it. Then you can go to the next one. This is what they would believe one of the rooms would look like. For many of us, we don't think about these types of things. Just the huge size of this ship. It's got three levels. It's 45 feet tall. And a lot of people don't think that he might have taken on fresh vegetables. Part of the rules were take on food for everything. Estimates at the time were 16,000 animals 
you know, give or take a few. They were probably on this boat. They would have to have cages. And the next picture, I think, is the cages. These are different ideas of cages. And you can see it's a little hard to probably tell in the picture. Um, but this is just an idea of what they had. You can see the clay pot on the side there. Those are water barrels for each and every animal. And then the little wood box would be where they poured the feed. And these are for small animals. This is a small animal cage. And this was an amazing thing to go to. And if you had kids that went, I would just say that they were amazing. Kids were great. Everybody was awesome on that trip. Um, I remember being a middle schooler and I probably would have been sent home. I, would, I can't believe how good they were. So it was really fun. And this is another idea of the head of one of the wives making bread and different things. And so this is a different idea than many of us would have had. But they had to live there. They're on this boat for a year with 16,000 critters. It takes a lot of feed, and a lot of patience, a lot of stink. I mean, there's a lot going on in this boat. And God gives them all this direction to build the boat. And he does it. 100 years time, he's got her built, and that is a big deal. I mean, we're talking by hand, so we think. I mean, civilization may have been more advanced. We don't necessarily know. We know they had hand-in-hand walks with God, possibly angels. So I believe that their uh, intellect would have been a little higher than probably what we even have now, but we don't know that for sure, so that's just speculation. So we have this giant boat that one person estimates could carry up to two million sheep. So it's a pretty big boat. It's got a lot of stuff on it, and it's got 16,000 animals in his whole family. No bugs that don't breathe you know, in air through their mouth, into their lungs. And one thing that a lot of people argue is this boat not being able to float, not being able to set sail, not being able to maneuver. And there's a pretty good argument for that. It wasn't meant to sail or maneuver. It didn't even have a steering wheel. It was meant to float. This boat, there's a lot of different ideas. You can look up what a moon pool is, which would be in the center of the boat having a moon pool so when the waves crashed in and out through those open windows, it would suck air in and out. It would also give it the ability to flex, not twist and break. That's a good idea. You see that big head that they put on this one, it was built so the ship would naturally just spin into the waves and crash against it instead of crashing into the water. There's another idea with dredge stones, and there's actually some found in Turkey in Mount Ararat where we all know that this boat came to land. Uh, There's actually a museum there where the people believe they actually found the ark itself. There's found aluminum, iron, all sorts of rivets. There's dredge stones, and these dredge stones are giant stones with holes in them. And they believe that could have been tied to the boat to make it when it goes up, that the boat just sits there and floats evenly. We don't know all those things. Those are just speculation, but they're good ideas. The neat thing about the dimensions given here, the 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, that same mathematical structure is what boat builders used until the 1900s before we got better steel structures, was this one. Interesting that... God gave them the dimensions on how to use it, and after that, we used it every day for thousands of years. It was always true. Until now, we obviously can weld, and we can do different things now with structural steel, and so the things have changed. So this boat was amazing, and God did exactly what he said he was going to do. God did this. In, In Genesis 7, 11 through 16, and we'll read that, you're going to see when Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. 
Erupted there is a good word. And the rain fell in mighty torments from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with the birds of every kind. Two by two they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Boom. No one's getting in. So, this is what Noah did. He took on two of two, seven of the clean pairs of animals, but also he said to take on food. So there may have been more animals just for food. Uh, Some of the clean pairs, obviously being Jewish, they can't eat meat that is unclean or non-kosher. Those rules... May have came later. He still has seven clean. There's arguments on all that different stuff. Neat to look into. Some people would argue that he never ate meat because that was part of the um, Adam and Eve's type of deal in the garden. There was no meat eating until sin. Um, But I would believe at this point that they were eating meat. Obviously the animals were eating meat, so you couldn't take two by two and then feed half of them to the bigger critters. It's not going to work out. (coughs) What you're going to have is only a few animals when you get done. So... The boat was big enough to carry food for everybody. I don't think they needed water. I would guess they could figure out where that's going to come from. So they had everything they needed on the boat. They get on the boat, and God does exactly what he says. The fountains of the deep erupt. Boof. And this is more like a volcanic eruption, I believe. If anybody here has watched, like, Traveling Channel or Vacation Spots and all this different stuff, every time you go to, like, a, at, an atmosphere where there's a lot of volcanoes, or uh, uh, losing my thought there. But they have different volcanic eruptions. You'll show you a hole about big as this room. And they'll say this was an old volcano that exploded. It exploded so many billions of years ago. It erupted this many billions of years ago. This one erupted this many. This one's eight miles across, and it erupted this many billions of years ago. These timelines and time frames are where we argue as Christians that more than likely this happened right here at the flood. God opened up the deep erupted. What does that do? Pushes tons of molten rock up, gives us new landmass, and creates new forms of uh, rock and geographic stuff like that that we see. Uh, mountain changes, tectonic plates, all these different things happen right then and there. The windows of heaven, meaning the atmosphere above the earth, falls down, boosh, and it's a lot of water. And when it falls, it falls hard for 40 days and 40 nights. And it changes the atmosphere of this earth. It changes the layout of the earth and all the stuff in it. And those are huge things that are going to come across when we talk about evolution. And so what we've seen is God destroy the entire earth with water. And he said, this is how it is. Everyone's evil and wicked, but you, Noah, you and your crew are going to be saved and we're going to put you on the boat. You're going to be there a year. He sends out the doves. We all know hopefully those stories. And walks out on dry land. So why is all that important in the argument against evolution? Evolutionists have many struggles with what we believe, and we have many struggles with what they believe, but on these things we have the exact same ideas, just different time frames. The geologic column. Anybody who's been in school or has read a book about Earth has studied the geologic column. It's the layers of dirt that we dig down into the earth, and we look at, and each of them have a timeline. 
Now, the way evolutionists would do this is they'd take these little bitty creatures, right, because we came from amoebas and we came from different bacteria and we created all this stuff. The little creatures are at the bottom and they're billions of years old. The bigger creatures, the biggest ones are somewhere in the top because they evolved. And so they're up here and then we're up in here a little ways further. And if you look that up today and look it up on anything, uh, the internet or a book or anything in the geologic column, you'll see how they define all those things. And when you're looking at them, they, ha they have it exactly that way. The problem is, is we find things that don't fit. Mount Everest, guess what it has all over the top of it? Sedimentary rock with closed clams, which means it happened very fast because when a clam dies, it, what, it opens. Closed clams and tons of fossils sitting on the top of Mount Everest. How did those get up there? So scientists say, well, don't look at that. We can't explain that. Don't even talk about that. The tree that we had talked about a few weeks ago, growing right through the dirt. So they take a big section of dirt and there's a tree growing up through it. Carbon dating dates that tree between 18,000 and 20,000 years old. We talked about the difference in carbon dating and the atmosphere and the different changes. So it may not be accurate, but where it was found to be growing was 180 million years old by the geologic column. Their math doesn't add up there. So what we'll do is we'll take that dirt and throw it away. Don't look there, it's bad. What we would think is this, exactly what happened in Genesis, that the earth, it opened up, it erupted, kaboom, and it started swirling dirt. If you're a farmer, or if you've done gardening or anything like that, the first thing they'll tell you is how to figure out what your soil is. So you take a scoop of your soil and you dig down and you put it in a glass of water and you pour it in there and you put a jar lid on top and you shake it real hard. And then you shake that jar and you set it on your wherever outside or in, in the house and you wait and you wait till it all settles out, and it's gonna tell you that this, that the clay's gonna land first, and then you're gonna have sand, and then sediment will be on the top, and this will be how you can tell what kind of soil you'll have, and what you need to add, and all those different things. We're smart enough to figure it out on a small scale, but when it comes to this big scale, all of a sudden that took billions of years. So what happens is this water comes down, karoosh, I mean, it's a bunch of water falling from the sky, and all this stuff comes up from the ground. Anyone who's ever done their own well, my grandpa, he's here today, he taught me how to witch a well, and they say that because of witchcraft, but you grab a stick and uh, you walk east to west because the veins of water run north and south, and when that thing pulls down, that's water. So we know there's water under the ground, and that water erupted out. So we all know that there's water on the ground, we know there's water above the ground, and we know there's dirt on the earth. Well, that's like a big jar, see? Take that big jar and you swirl it up. And all that dirt starts to settle. Where does it settle? Well, we talked about eruption, and we say that those tectonic plates and all that molten goo coming up out of the earth turns into mountains. Everyone here is smart enough to figure out if I take a ball, and I take a mountain, and I put the ball on top of the mountain, and it's a hill that goes like this. Where does the ball end up? Down here. Okay, so that's pretty basic. So if I take mud and water and rock and I mix it up and I put it on that same mountain into a slurry, where does it go? The bottom. So all we have here is the earth erupts. It rushes down into low-lying lands. The heavy dirt settles out first and goes just like your garden. And that's how it works. And what did it pick up on the way? Well, remember them seven and a half billion people or million people that lived here? Picked up some of them. That dirt and mud and goop, it picked up all them animals that were here. And guess what it gave us? 
Another argument is how many billions of years does it take to create fossil fuels? Oh, so many billions. Or, with enough pressure, what we know about pressure, you take a dive in a pool, you're sitting up on the top layer, no problems. You go down 10 foot, your ears start to pop. What happens? You know the difference pressure between our head bending down and a giraffe's head is our blood pressure would be 300 when we bend down and theirs would be 1,000? Pressure increases greatly over depth. And so guess what? There's enough water in the earth right now that if this world was flat, it would take 8,000 feet tall, the oceans if you emptied them, earth is flat, 8,000 foot tall, we'd have enough water to go around the whole earth. That's a lot of pressure. Guess what that pressure would create? Fossil fuels. Guess what you need to do that? Billions of years or a flood. A huge one. Not a localized flood, like it floods in Bert, and Bertrand doesn't know about it, because that doesn't kill everybody. That's a pretty big miracle. Like, hey, there's a flood in Clio, and the whole earth died from water. That is a shock. That's impossible. No one would believe that. So what it is, is this. The whole world was underwater, and a lot of it. It says that they're 22 feet taller than the highest mountain. That's what the Bible says. It measures everything in cubits. Depending on the version you read. So today we read the version it gave us in feet, which is nice. Cubit is from the tip of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. Anybody who's building uses the same cubit. And so, you know, you're gonna, we're going to build something today, so we're going to use this person's cubit. And that's all we're going to use because you've got to have exact measurements. But there's discrepancy. So around 22 feet tall. It's a lot of water, a lot of pressure, and it makes sense for all of those things. It messes up the fossil record. You know, the fossils having babies? It's like, oh man, that baby must have took a billion years to get born. That had to be tough. No, it was a very fast eruption of water, mud, mixed silt, crashing down on animals. That's how you have fossils like that. No one believes that it took a billion years to have that baby. That would be horrible. We would only have like two animals. You know, it'd be this one, and I'm not doing that. That's just the worst. So no one would believe that. Uh, I know we're, I'm going to go pretty quick here. Creation of the Grand Canyon. This is another big argument. Grand Canyon's huge. I mean, it can go, it goes 18 miles across. It's very deep. And they say this took the Colorado River billions of years, actually 6 billion. That's the lowest one I could find. Some say up to 17 to 18 billion years, or uh, million years, I'm sorry. So it creates millions of years to create this river. So the Colorado River comes through and it runs through this canyon and it picks up rock and sediment and all that stuff. It creates like a sandpaper and it cuts through the different layers of the earth. And they say the earth at the bottom is billions of years old because it's so old and the stuff at the top, that's the new stuff. Here's a couple things, and you can look these up. Uh, Lewitt Canyon, 100 feet deep, created in a short feet, just a few, few short hours. Uh, the Tuttle River in 1980, Mount St. Helens eruption, creates a lake. When the lake gives way, it was a lake for two years. Mount St. Helens explodes. It creates this lake. It's in a lake for a couple years. And then all of a sudden, the lake overfills and it breaks away. Boof. And when it does, within nine hours, it creates a canyon that is 1,000 feet wide, 2,000 feet long, and 140 feet deep in nine hours. So how could the Grand Canyon be created if there was a giant flood? This isn't a problem with creationists. This isn't an argument, it's just a different belief structure. They believe billions of years and we believe in a giant flood. It doesn't make you unscientific or stupid. 
It just makes you believing different because this is a belief structure, it's not science. Now we use science to prove these things and talk about these things, but as we talked about in the first week, you gotta make it through rigorous tests and do all these different things to make these things to be laws and theories. And so what we have is the belief that Noah got on a boat full of a bunch of animals and God flooded this joint. And he did it right now, wham. And it took a year for the water to go away and he got out and everything was changed. How does a couple other things that would answer for us and we'll, we'll go quick and I wanna hit the dinosaurs real fast. We go through the ice age. If there was volcanic eruptions, just think about this. Volcanoes, what happens, poof. The whole sky is blotted out. Say the earth's covered in water and there was a giant volcano that happened, like we say, fountains of the deep blew open, and it blotted out the sun in a certain area. And there was a couple hundred feet of water in that area and it still hadn't receded and winter came for the first time and it froze. And four years ago, Lake Superior in August still had ice that boats were clunking into because the winter was so hard. I remember that because me and Greg were jackhammering frost five or six feet deep to get to, to, get to gas main breaks. That happened in our time. So imagine if it was that cold then with the sun being blotted out, where would the ice go when it was 30 feet deep? It'd still be there. So the flood can create an ice age. So this part of the earth and this hemisphere having an ice age, and they say it took billions of years for the ice to move through here. Not necessarily. Not if God put all that water on the earth right now or now. Here it is, hundreds of feet deep, thousands of feet deep, and it freezes. That's not unbelievable. A meteor hits the earth. They believe that's where the dinosaurs went. So a meteor hits the earth. And what did we talk about at the beginning? That the earth on its imaginary axis, right, running at zero, would have a perfect growing climate. There's nothing to say that in this flood time that a meteor didn't hit the earth. It's not in the Bible. It's not, not in the Bible. It doesn't say you can't believe that. So that doesn't mean anything. If the flood happened and a meteor hit the earth at that time and the earth twisted on its axis... There's nothing wrong with that. A scientist tells you that I believe that. Okay, that's cool. Go ahead, believe it. That's a good theory. It's not wrong. It might not be what you think, but it's not bad. So we have those arguments that they constantly hit us with that we look at like are foolish because they can agree with us and we can agree with them on those things. We just don't believe it happened billions of years ago. We believe it happened during a flood that God created. The last thing, dinosaurs. And uh, we'll spend just a few minutes on dinosaurs. So dinosaurs are probably the most interesting thing to me, and it could probably be a class taught uh, for hours and hours and hours. I mean, all this information that we went through, if I started back at the beginning, we could use a whole set of different information for each message and never touch the same thing twice, and we could do that for months. There's thousands of books written on this stuff. There's tons of evolutionary books, tons of creation books. I just encourage you and want to spark a little bit of interest in people's minds to think maybe we can believe this, not be ignorant, and be a strong Christian at the same time. I can believe every book in this Bible is true, every word is true, and everything in it is okay. The first seven chapters of Genesis, nine chapters of Genesis, I can agree with that and not be unscientific or ignorant. So how do we do this? I heard a comedian one time say, creationists are a joke. They watch the Flintstones and they think it's a documentary. That's not necessarily us, but could be true. So here's what I think about the dinosaurs. Um, there are several different theories. One would be that gap theory that uh, we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, people believe that the dinosaurs were there. God killed the earth with a flood at 
first. Then when we see Genesis 1-1, he's back on top of the already flooded earth and that's where the dinosaurs died. I told you I disagreed with that, believing that there was no death then and that that earth was created in Genesis 1-1. If you believe that, that's fine. Go ahead. I think you're wrong. I give you the right to be wrong all you want. So you can believe that and that's fine. I don't believe that. So there's other theories. Here's another one. The dinosaurs were there. So God says, and day six possibly, maybe day five, some with the pterodactyls, some with the bronchiosaurus, maybe they were created on day five and six. I believe they were right there. What do we know about the perfect earth? No death, right? No eating meat. So these animals were all vegetarian. Like I talked about last week with a bear that eats berries, he doesn't die, right? A dog that eats just vegetarian food, he'll live. Maybe in a perfect climate, perfect growing area, perfect world, God has him eating vegetation only. So that giant T-Rex that we're always looking at that's so scary and amazing, maybe he used those sharp teeth to pull off branches from a tree that's very tall. People will say that I'm wrong, but you can look up any, uh, any website you want. Look up, can a T-Rex just eat vegetation? You know why no one can really give you an answer? Well, we don't have their stomach. It's not like we have their skin. It's not like we can do those kind of tests. But it's something to think about. So these giant animals are wandering around the earth. Mind you, at the beginning there was two people, just Adam, Eve, just them too. So it would take a lot to keep all that vegetation down. You know what would help with that? Giant animals like the bronchiosaurus. Big, tall, giant neck. Eats grass. Wanders the whole earth. Maybe in that type of climate, maybe God had a little bit of foresight and said, hey, I'm going to need these critters. We're going to keep the grass mowed. It's a possibility. And people say, well, that's an impossibility because Noah had to put all them animals on an ark. And the ark is not big enough to carry a bronchiosaurus. And it's, it's not. Well, at least not a big one. You see, a big bronchiosaurus, you know, they're big. But the little ones are little. When we were at the Evolution Creation Museum, the T-Rex egg that they have that's fossilized, I could hold it in my hands, it's this big. Do you think the animal that came out of that egg was six feet tall? No. He was probably this tall. So what if you took a baby T-Rex on the ark? It could happen. What do we know about lizards and reptiles and all those things? We know that one dinosaur, the word wasn't coined until the 1800s by Richard Owen. When this Bible was first penned, they had no word for dinosaur. We're going to see why that might cause a few discrepancies here in a second. We know it as a terrible reptile, furious lizard. These are its definitions. And so the Bible has maybe different words that it uses for these same animals. These animals might be there. Now if they get off the boat, Noah's Ark, they would live in a different atmosphere, a different climate than everybody did. Does anybody live a thousand years anymore? No. Nah. How many giants do we see walking around? Well, I mean, you see people who have sickness that get to be certain heights, but we don't have men of re renown that we worship like gods that are giants today. We're not worried that they're going to come and attack us and fight us. The difference in climate and change could happen. One thing we know about reptiles is they never quit growing, ever. They can be conformed into a cage and quit growing. They can be controlled, but... If you left them in the wild forever, they would get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. What if they lived to be a thousand years old? 
could be a different thing. The horned toad sure looks like a lot like a triceratops. It's just like this big. Maybe that's a possibility. There's nothing wrong in thinking that. We see anacondas grow to be, you know, as long as a stage, weighing tons that are just terrifying. What if it lived a thousand years old, never stopped growing, and was in a perfect climate constantly? What if the harmful sun's radiation didn't affect its growth? What if God created it to be big size? So when he said, let there be animals, there they were. But then when they got off the boat, they just couldn't grow as big. It's at least a possibility, scientifically provable and worth looking into. And you're allowed to have a theory like that because it doesn't sound any more stupid than thinking that a man came from a monkey. Does it? I think dinosaurs are on a boat. That's stupid, you're an idiot. I think I was a monkey. What? I don't think that's a good argument. Are we arguing the same thing? Sounds crazy. You're allowed to believe those things and you're allowed to scientifically prove those things through things like we just talked about. Never quit growing, perfect climate, zero access on the earth, great time to grow, people lived to be a thousand years, maybe they did too, God created them big. Well, I'm not dumb, I'm just different than you. This isn't science that you're talking about, this is a belief, and so I believe different. You don't have to be arrogant, you don't have to be mean, you don't have to argue, you just have to know what you believe. And if you don't believe that, then figure it out what you believe. If you don't think the dinosaurs are on the boat, I'm fine with that. I have a different belief than that. I have a different theory. I've studied all these different theories and tried to find somebody with my same theory because I'm hoping somebody smart would have it and I can say, see, this guy agrees, but I haven't. And when I explained it to my wife what I thought, she looked at me and said, you shouldn't talk about that. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I think, and this might be completely different, and you might think, wow, he is nuts, and I'll probably get the same look as when I told her. I think that when Genesis happened, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are talking, they're hanging out in the garden, and here comes the serpent, and the serpent was the most beautiful thing in the, all of the garden. And he came up and talked to Eve, and he said, hey, you want this piece of fruit? And she took it. There was curses given after that. And it said that the, the serpent would eat the dust of the ground and crawl on its belly for the rest of his life. God doesn't need his lawnmowers anymore. You're out. And I think that curse was the dinosaur. That's my personal belief. It's not crazy. It's just different. And I think that's who they may be talking about. This is why and will be done. This is why I believe the dinosaurs were in the Bible. Because they were in the Bible. I don't know exactly where they ended. I don't know exactly if they got on the boat. I don't know all those things. But I guarantee you they were here when man was here. This is one reason why we know this. And I know this is pretty long. But this is where we're going to go in 1969 and 1972, those few years. In Glen Rose, Texas, at the Paluxy River, a guy uncovered man footprints. In the wash bed of a river. It dried up. Huge drought in Texas, and this river dries up, and at the bottom is stone. And in this stone is men's footprints. Well, that's pretty neat, he says, and he's a geologist, so he goes up and he starts checking it. And he starts shoveling away, and he starts looking. Guess what he finds right next to him? 134 dinosaur footprints in the same riverbed, walking right next to men. Some of them even overlap. You can go on the internet today and look up the pictures. There's a museum there. 
You can go into today and look at it. The river's back now. It's a few inches deep, depending on, obviously, type of year. And you can see the footprints in there. Men's footprints with a dinosaur footprint. Evolutionists state this, that the dinosaur footprint was so heavy that it went through lots of dirt, and the man's was so heavy that it just stopped right here, and this is all we're looking at, and this all filled in. So you're telling me the giant animal walks around and it walks to its shoulders? It doesn't make it very far if you can't get your legs out of the mud. Now, I understand things get stuck in the mud, but that guy didn't get stuck in the mud, and the dinosaur kept walking. So you're telling me that thing is that tall? It's either 2,000 feet tall, or like an elephant, it has feet that flatten out, and it can walk on the ground without getting buried and everything. I mean, we have big animals today. They weigh like 10,000 pounds. They don't bury themselves every time they walk. That would make sense. Guess what? Dinosaurs were here when men were here. Pretty interesting. Look it up. You can see it. In Job chapter 40, we're not going to read through the whole thing because we're going for time, but in Job chapter 40, we see behemoth. No coined phrase for dinosaur at this time. No terrible lizard. It says its tail wags like a cedar. It says it eats up all the vegetation. It says it takes in, depending on which version you read, it says it takes in the whole river in one drink and no man can stop it. And this is what God was talking to Job about. God's standing in front of Job and he's saying, how dare you question me? Because, you know, Job went through a lot. And he's starting to have some doubts and he's struggling a little bit. And he says, do you, can you catch behemoth? And he starts to describe behemoth. Bones like iron. Tendons impenetrable. No man can pierce his skin. No man can capture him. He's so big that he can drink up the whole river in one gulp. His tail will wag and destroy a forest. He is the biggest thing you've ever seen. I made him. How dare you? You can't tell me you can capture him. And God says, with my sword, I will kill him. So God uses his creation to prove a point to Job right there. And what does he use? I believe 100% a dinosaur. Schofield, in his notes, writes it down as a hippopotamus. That's one crazy looking hippo. I've never seen one with a big tail. I also don't have a big neck. So that's, we may have a discrepancy there. The next chapter after it, Job 41. I encourage you to read these, 40 and 41. He talks about Leviathan being a huge sea creature. And he says, can you put a hook in Leviathan's mouth? Talks about a breathing fire. Talks about it being uncapturable, unpenetrable, and no man can tame it. And God says, I can control him and no problem. Psalm. David talks about God destroying the head of Leviathan, crushing him. Some people represent this to Satan, but in the context of Job, I would believe that he's talking about two real animals, and I believe them to be dinosaurs because they sure sound like dinosaurs. Thick skin, can't penetrate them, really big and tall. You know, makes sense. So if you want to, look those things up. Think about it a little bit. And remember this. That we are Christians and that we believe this book. You're not a fool for believing it. You're foolish not to believe it. And when we close out, I just want to say that many of us will struggle with these ideas. And even the things that I just said, you'll look at it and you'll think, man, that's a little off. I've been taught so different. And you have from a little kid. But that should encourage you to do this. If this is true... And you can read through it and you can come up with some evidence of your own and you can come up with some ideas and the Bible is real, why aren't you sharing it with your kids? You see, they're going to come home studying the geological column, studying Pangea, 
studying the age of the earth, studying all these different things, and they're going to think they're so neat because science is neat. And they're going to have so many answers, and they didn't even know to have a different question. The only person that can do that is us. To help move this movement forward to make our children not think that they're so foolish. I know in the first week that I talked a lot about the public school system and kind of downed them a little bit. But the question is, is maybe some of us don't just need to teach our, kill, our kids at home, but maybe we need to teach our kids in a school. Some of you are called to be teachers. Maybe you could do that. Maybe some of you are going to be called to go to the school board and say, hey, I would like an alternate different science taught. It's in the law right now that we can teach this. President Bush signed it in a few years back. And it's still there. It can be taught. But the school board doesn't want to teach it because they don't want trouble from the ACLU and all these other people that want to fight them. But being a Christian doesn't mean we sit back idly and do nothing. It means that we battle in the right ways. Yeah, we can't go up and tell everybody cussing and screaming and fighting and picketing and being crazy. But we can intelligently walk up and say, hey, here's the law. My children go here. I would like this to be different. We can sit down in a bedtime story and tell our kids, hey, God is real. This is why these things happen. We could read this book in some science journals and different web pages and different ideas and talk to our kids and talk to ourselves sometimes and say, wait a minute, maybe I'm not weird for believing this. Maybe they're wrong. Christianity is not unintelligent like we've been told. You're allowed to be smart and be a Christian. There's nothing wrong with you having a different belief, but it is time to start believing it. Like everything in this book, it is not an option. It is not an option to say, I choose not to believe that, or I choose to let that slide because I don't understand, or I'll just give up on that idea. You are capable and you are able, and through the belief that the start of the book is right, we can get to the middle of the book where Jesus comes. And it doesn't sound far-fetched either. But if the beginning's a lie, it's all a lie. It's nothing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you've done for us and the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, just help us to be an effective church for you. Help us just to worship you in the ways we should. Help us be confident in your word. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.